Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. I took my kids to a jewelry store just to get her a little gift. Um, and you know, you go in there and these display cases are just filled with these beautiful, I mean, I don't, expensive, sparkly things, you know what I'm saying? And I, I took my kids because, of course, you know, I wanted to make it special for them. And uh, I took my kids and Abigail and Benjamin. They're looking at all the cases, you know, smearing them up with their hands, of course. That's what they do. Of course, Abigail had a hundred questions. You know, Daddy, what's that? What's that? And, you know, then they had these rocks that looked like, you know, uncut stones, you know. And they're like, what kind of, rock, what kind of, what kind of jewelry is that? I like that. She's asking me all these questions. And so I'm standing there trying to explain to Abigail where diamonds come from, you know, how they come from the ground and they have to be cut. Which I, I admit it's a whole lot better than trying to explain where babies come from or something like that. <laughs> but I'm trying to explain to her where diamonds come from in front of the jewelry store worker there, right? You know, I'm thinking I can sound like an expert in front of my daughter because she thinks I know everything at this point, right? But, I mean, I'll, I won't have to talk very long here before that jewelry store worker knows I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so I'm telling her, you know, diamonds, they come from the ground and they need to be cut and polished to make them sparkle and all that. But, you know, in front of the real expert, I realized I don't know anything. <laughs> I don't know anything about diamonds. You know, honestly, um, put that picture up. up. Oh, Kenneth. There, look at that. I, w- I thought I'd put a visual up. You know, I, 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 the internet says that that's the largest natural diamond they found. Yeah. If I found a diamond like that on the ground, I, mean, I'm, I promise you, I found those. <laughs> I didn't know they were diamonds. I mean, I wouldn't know. I wouldn't recognize it, you know. Um, I'm not an expert at these things. Uh, that's what the, uh, so what we did... Um, here, I'm sitting there. I'm looking at these things. They're sparkling. And I'm totally at the mercy of this jewelry store worker, because I, I didn't even bother asking about carrot or, or size or clarity. I just didn't even bother. I was just like, I figured if it's expensive, it's real. That's good enough for me. So just, you know, you could have taken a, a rock and put an expensive price tag on it. I'd been like, oh, this one's nice, because <laughs> I'm so ignorant. But uh, anyway, we ended up just picking out just a small little ring. Um, and the reason we got it wasn't because of the clarity or cut. We got it because the ring, uh, uh, Abigail says, oh, that looks like a princess crown, <laughs> so, which is good enough for me. So <laughs> anyway, you know, the Bible talks about don't cast your pearls before swine or before pigs. You know, why, what would be the problem with casting your pearls before a pig is they don't recognize the value of a pearl. To them, they're just like any rock. They'll trample them underfoot. They don't value things. Uh, but there is a difference between pearls and rocks, amen? There's a difference between the genuine and the counterfeit. There's a difference between a real diamond and, what is it, cubic zirconia, I think, right? Or what's the stuff, the, the, the gold plating that they put to make it look like it's, you know, there's a difference between pure gold and just some kind of uh, gold plating. And it's not just a difference in appearance, you know, that a trained eye can spot. Maybe my eye can't spot it, but there's a difference in quality. There's a difference in durability. There's a difference in value between the real and the, gen, uh, the genuine and the fake, counterfeit, phony, right? I want to talk to you just for a few minutes today about the genuine gospel and how you can know that you have the real thing. Come on, we're laborers in the harvest, 
We all got commissioned this morning. <laughs> but if we're going to continue to expand Jesus' ministry, our ministry needs to look like his ministry. We need to say the things that Jesus says and not just our own ideas all the time. Amen? In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul is, is writing to the Corinthians. And in this passage, he's talking about how different laborers, different preachers, and different ministers all are contributing to the building up of the church. They're working for the kingdom. They're building the church. And he says in chapter 3, verse 10, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. Paul recognized that he was the first through that region with the gospel. He laid the foundation. And he said, and someone else is building upon it. He said, let each one take care how he, take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. This is the first, most important thing, that the foundation of the church is Jesus Christ. Amen? This is critical because the gospel that Paul preached is a continuation of what Jesus began to do and preach. It's a continuation. Jesus is the foundation of the church. If Jesus is not at the center of your gospel, then you've got a counterfeit gospel because the foundation for the church and the foundation for the gospel is Jesus. Amen? See, you know, the problem is that the, the primary way that happens in our culture is not so much that, you know, we go and we uh, worship Zeus or some, you know, pagan god or some Hindu god or something like that, and we try to incorporate the, the gospel around that. What happens to us is we end up not making Jesus the center because we end up making me the center, <laughs> myself the center. The gospel is about me, not about him. You see that? The, go the gospel is Christ-centered. It's not man-centered. The gospel is centered around Jesus Christ and what he's done. The gospel isn't really about me having a better life. The gospel is about me abandoning myself to him, letting go of my life and finding myself complete in him. There's a letting go. There's a dying. There's a death to, end, to go through before you enter into resurrection life. And that's what the gospel is about. It's, it's now, now, you're the object of it. I'm the object of it. Why? Because Jesus didn't come to die for squirrels or for angels or to redeem devils. He didn't. He came to die for you and me. So we're a part of it. We're the object of it. But you don't save yourself. And he doesn't come just to add something to your already pretty much okay life. That's kind of how we've presented the gospel. In, in this country, man, you're doing good. You're awesome. Why don't you just add Jesus to your already pretty much okay life? Instead of saying, why don't you lay down your life and die? <laughs> Nobody likes that. <laughs> lay down your life and die. So we have a lot of people in Christianity who are not dead. Right? What does Paul say? I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I. See, I went to the cross and I didn't come back. <laughs> it's Christ who lives in me. If, and so you have a, we have churches that are filled with people who are still, I is very much alive. <laughs> and we can't get over little hurts and we can't get over offenses and we can't get over things. And you know what that tells me? I'm not dead yet. I need to lay my life down and I'll find true meaning and true life on the other side of the cross. Amen. 
Paul continues. Verse 12, now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day, the day, see it's capital there in that Bible, the day, that is, that is the day, that is the judgment day, speaking of the day when Christ returns. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and fire will test what sort of work each one has done. So what are we building our lives with? Gold, silver, and precious stones? Or are we propping ourselves up with hanger wire and duct tape? Which is my version of wood, hay, and straw. (laughs) Hanger wire and duct tape. (laughs) Think about it. (laughs) The foundation is worthy of gold, silver, and precious stones. It really is. The foundation of Christ. But men, honestly, men have been building on that foundation with wood, hay, straw, and all kinds of other things. There's a lot of wood, hay, and straw in Christianity today. There really is. I suspect that a lot of what we occupy ourselves with really won't matter in the end. Let me ask you this. Are lives changed? Are people overcoming sin? People overcoming addictions? Are people being restored emotionally, physically, mentally? Is there a renewed hunger for right living in our lives? We used to have a word for that called holiness. Is there a real hunger for holiness? I don't know any churches that use that word anymore because holiness sounds like, you know, it's what they used to do, you know, those legalistic people. But we're all into grace now, right? (laughs) Come on, holiness. You know what holiness is? It's not legalism. Holiness is evidence that you've met Jesus. That's what it is. The hunger for holiness is evidence that you know you've, God's done a work in your heart. It's a good thing. Amen? In Luke chapter 7, also in Matthew 11, John the Baptist was in prison. He was actually in the prison where he was going to die. This was it for him. It was the end of his journey, end of his ministry, end of his life. And he's sitting there in prison. Can you imagine the thoughts that must have been running through his head? as he was out there boldly proclaiming the coming Messiah and repentance to Israel, and he ends up here. It's like, was it worth it? What would you be thinking? I'll tell you. And then you've got time. <laughs> you've got all this time to be sitting there, the long days and the long nights, reflecting on his life. Was it worth it? Was I right? So what's he do? He sends messengers to Jesus because he wanted to know if Jesus was really the one or if he had run his life in vain. So they showed up to Jesus and they asked him, John wants to know, are you the one? I like his directness. Are you the one or should we expect another? And Jesus answered him in uh, Luke 7, 22. He says, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up and the poor have the good news preached to them. Come on, I like it, do you? But listen, he says, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. You've just watched this happen right in front of your eyes while you were waiting for me to talk to me, and I just did all this right in front of you. This is, don't go tell John what you've seen about and heard about. Get the difference? He says, you come and taste and see that I'm good. He says, go tell John what you have seen with your own eyes and what you have heard. You can go talk to these people right here. Ask them about their lives. What was it like being blind for 30 years? (laughs) 
what was it? How did you get paralyzed? And, and Jesus, you were really paralyzed? Yeah, and Jesus, yeah. <laughs> Go tell John what you have seen and heard. Jesus' ministry was marked by this evidence of God's kingdom. You could touch it. You could see it. You could talk to those who had experienced it. Notice what Jesus didn't say. I won't be careful here, but he didn't say, go tell John we just raised $15,000 for missions. <laughs> go tell John that uh, we had 5,000 men at the men's dinner last month. <laughs> he didn't say, oh, go tell John we just paved the parking lot and remodeled the youth center. <laughs> he didn't. Now, now understand, though, that a lot of money, money went through Jesus' ministry. We know that. We know that um, he had a treasurer, for one. You don't need a treasurer if you're not dealing with sums of money. We know that people uh, ministered to him. There's wealthy families who ministered and supported his ministry. So, you know, it's a means to an end, right, to have these things. And, and uh, he'd be happy if we had a youth center and things like that, right? He'd be happy if we raised money for missions. And he did feed the multitudes, the 5,000, the loaves and fish. But those were not the benchmarks for success in the kingdom. The kingdom is about rescued lives. And those things are a means to an end. They're not an end in themselves. We were at the, um, we were at the network council for the Assemblies of God earlier this week. And uh, you remember when Pastor Randy came and uh, raised the offering uh, for the Bible schools in Tanzania. And praise God, our church was able to give. And I'm so glad we were. And uh, we got to hear at the conference uh, Sam Johnson who was uh, the one that he's, who's, he's building stuff all over <laughs> this world, man. It was fun, man. This guy is on fire. How old was he, Ren Kim? Or Rick, you know, it was like 80, 86 or something like that. I mean, it was, he was on fire, man. And he's talking about all the things that were going on. It was great to, to hear him. But, you know, we'd sit there and, and they talk, they show these pictures of these buildings and stuff. And I'm like, oh, cool. Okay, you're building. And then he'd say, and because of that Bible school, there are 15,000 churches in this country right now. And that made my heart just go like, wow. Because, I mean, that's what it's about. It's about these churches on lives transformed and people coming into the kingdom. And I'm telling you what, I believe that God will resource us to do whatever we need to do to bring in the, in the, in the harvest as long as our attention is on the harvest right? We're not building an empire. We're not building buildings just to have buildings because a building is not the measure of success. But to have those tools or those resources, I think God is all for that. Amen? Because it's about lives transformed. Praise God. The kingdom of God is about lives. A number of years ago, this is for all my car guys, put up my picture of my 69 Camaro. Come on. Yeah. I like that. I know. I had a friend who had a car exactly like that, man. I did. It was fun, man. He was beautiful. Can we look at it for a minute? You know what? And you know what made it fun to drive? It's not that it hand. I mean, there's, you know, new cars, the technology. These things are so, the te they're out technology just by new cars, you know. Um, the new cars are, are, you know, so much better. But just the stares that you would get driving that thing slow through an intersection, you know what I mean? Guys just like watching it all the way. <laughs> it was fun. And he got it. I mean, and it was a it was a base model Camaro, but it was a 69. And he painted it just like that. He put on the rally stripes and everything. And I remember one day we went out and um in his driveway after he got it back from the paint shop, he ordered a um super sport emblem kit, you know, 
the little placards that say Super Sport and 350 and all that stuff. They, it looks good, doesn't it, David? Yeah. <laughs> You'd take one, wouldn't you? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Thus saith the Lord. No, I won't go there. <laughs> but we went out there. I mean, we're punching holes in this thing and putting on these emblems to make it look like a Super Sport. But here's the thing. It wasn't a Super Sport. It was an awesome car. It was a valuable car. But we did a, We call that building a clone when you make it look like something that had a more expensive trim package and better engine in there. And so when it was driving down the road, you see Keith would like this, right? <laughs> yeah. He's a Ford guy. Oh, don't talk to me. No. <laughs> I, I'm not. I'll just be honest. I'm not picky. You, you, get, you get over 30 years old. I don't care if it's a Ford, a Chevy, or Dodge. It just doesn't matter to me. But, um, but we were putting these emblems on there to make it look like it was a super sport. But it wasn't a super sport. It was just a base model. You call that building a clone. And, you know, the thing is, it's not as valuable as the real authentic deal with the matching numbers and everything like that. But it looks good, right? But here's the thing, as Christians, we need to be careful not just to seek our own agenda and pretend that we have the genuine thing and just slap those little placards of verses on there to pretend like we have the real thing. You get what I'm trying to say? We have an obligation as Christians to seek God's kingdom, to seek his way of doing things and seek the things that he want, God wants to do in his kingdom. Amen. So what is the genuine gospel? I just, well, you guys, we kind of went long in the beginning, didn't we? I'll go quickly. I won't, I won't belabor it. I won't ramble. What is the genuine gospel? Romans 1.16, if you'll look at that with me. It says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. The gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. First of all, the gospel is good news. Good news. I covered this a couple of Wednesdays ago. The gospel is good news, not good advice. Okay? We've presented the gospel in many ways as if it were good advice. And the gospel is not good advice. The gospel is good news. That's what the word means. Here's an example of good advice. You ready? If you want to be healthy, eat this, do these exercises, and you'll have a healthy life. That's good advice. If you want to have a good marriage, you know, go do this with your spouse, have date night, do whatever, spend time. That's good, good advice. And the Bible's filled with good advice, so it's not wrong to have good advice. If you want to succeed in your career, you know, learn these leadership principles, how to win friends and influence people, you know, learn these things. Good advice. But what's the difference between good advice and good news? News is something that has actually happened, Right? Russia has invaded, the, invaded Ukraine. We should be ready for expensive gas prices. Congress has just passed a law. How's that going to affect our church, my family? How's that going to affect me, my business? See, it's news. It's something that happened. Jesus rose from the dead. He defeated the powers of hell, death, and the grave. And he's coming again. How should I live my life in light of this news that has happened? The news Jesus proclaimed was the kingdom is near. The kingdom is near. How much nearer is it now that the kingdom, he says, is within you? We're ministers of the gospel. We have a gospel to proclaim. Jesus is risen. He's coming again. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1.17, Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, 
lest the cross be emptied of its power. See, we don't come proclaiming uh, uh, Jesus and his kingdom just by human wisdom and natural reason, do we? You know, we're not philosophers. We're not life coaches. We're not career coaches. We actually come bring, we're carriers of the gospel. We're carriers of this message, this proclamation. Jesus is king. Set your, set your house in order. Jesus is king. Set your house in order. So one, it's good news. Second, the gospel is a gospel unto salvation. What is salvation? If you were traveling, and let's say you were going through, you know, let's say they routed you through some Islamic-controlled country as you're going to your European vacation, and you happen to have a Bible with you or something, and through some circumstances, not your own fault, you end up in jail in this country. I mean, some dark, cold, drafty jail, and you're held there with horrible food, terrible conditions. You're away from your family, no internet, no phone, can't get out, but word of your situation reaches your government back in America. And they become aware of it. They say, we need to do something to rescue this person who's been wrongfully kidnapped. What do you want your government to do? What kind of rescue do you want? What kind of salvation do you want? Do you want your government to pass a resolution that declares your captivity illegal? And then not do anything to help you? Or do you want them to send in the special forces and invade that compound? I mean, I want them to send Chuck Norris. Do you know what I'm saying? That's the kind of rescue I want. I don't want them just passing more laws and, you know, going on Twitter and, you know, doing hashtag set BJ free. That, that, that doesn't do anything. At some point, somebody's got to go over there, bust down the door and get me out. That's the kind of rescue I want. Where are the Chuck Norrises today? <laughs> Man. <laughs> so why do we want a gospel that just declares us right with God but leaves us enslaved to sin? I don't. The gospel has the power to set us free. In John 8, Jesus was talking to Jews, and he says, uh, if you abide in me, 831, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, you are truly my disciples, and then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him in verse 33, we are offspring of Abraham, and we've never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you can say, you will become free? See, they thought that they were already right with God because they were children of Abraham. But they were slaves to sin, and they didn't know it. You know, a lot of times people think they're free. But the question is, what's pulling the strings in your life? What are the things that control how far you go, what you do, or how good your relationships can be? See, God wants you to be free from those things. The gospel is here with the power to set you free from those things. What are the desires in your heart that would keep you walking down that path instead of walking close with, with God? God wants us to be free from those things. The gospel could set us free because whatever is controlling you is your slave master. And Jesus wants us to be free. Verse 34, he explained it to them. He said, truly I say to you, everyone who practices sin is slave to sin. See, they thought they were free. And we talk a lot about grace. And I'm glad for the grace teaching. I'm glad for the grace of God. But what does grace really do in our lives? 
God's grace, real grace, true Bible grace. Look at Titus 2.11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. That's what the grace of God does in our lives. It works holiness in us. There's that word again. It's not in there yet, but it is. That's what it's talking about, to renounce these things and to walk uprightly before God. So how do I know if I'm under grace? I know that if I'm under grace because if grace is working in me, this is what is leading me and teaching me to do. The good news is this. God doesn't leave us a slave to our sin and to the habits and to the things that used to bind us. He sets us free. And this comes with the proclamation of the gospel. And this is important. Because as we're carriers of the gospel, we're not here to go and, look, we, we, we should help people. We can counsel people. We can do these things. But first, we need the witness of the Spirit and the power of the cross in our proclamation to bring, set people free, to break the chains and bring them into the kingdom. Amen? That's what we need. You know, nowhere in the scripture do you see Jesus counseling out a demon. He cast them out. And there, 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 are, there are demons that need cast out. There are chains that need broken. There are bondages. There are yokes that need to be destroyed before people can come successfully into the kingdom. We want our ministry and our life to look like Jesus. Amen? Amen? And we need to model his ministry. Listen to what, listen to what salvation looks like in the scripture. I'm going to read these few verses and then I'm going to wrap it up here, okay? And I'll have you just, I'll have you out just a few minutes. Oh, not doing too bad, really. Okay, that's good. Listen to how the Bible describes rescue. Uh, Colossians chapter 1, 13 and 14. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Look, there's a transference of kingdom. You are rescued from the kingdom of Satan. You do not have to follow that government anymore. When Rin Kim came to America, she's living in America. She left India. India doesn't really have anything to say to her anymore. Right? And if she does wrong in America, America will, <laughs> will persecute her or prosecute her, right? Whatever. But, but she's under a new set of laws because she came to a new country. You came out of the country, out of the domain of darkness, into the kingdom of light. It's a new set of rules, a new government. Come on, there's freedom in that. Amen? Look at Acts 26 and verse 18. This is what Paul was sent to do. He was sent to the people to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Look at that. They were to turn from the power of Satan to God. Come on, the power of Satan is working out there in people's lives. How much more does God want his power to work through his church? Come on, let that thing go. Let that power go in you, amen? We have an obligation to pursue these things. We have an obligation to pursue the kingdom and to look at Jesus and to model my life and my ministry after Jesus first. Romans 6, 6, it talks about our old self being crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing that will no longer be enslaved to sin. Right there, it's Chuck Norris going and rescuing you out of the jail cell. He didn't leave you a slave to the kingdom of darkness or to sin or to old passions. We're free. We're free in him. Amen? 
Sin does not look, wrong. last verse here, last verse. Well, no, one more, sorry. Okay, last, second to last. Romans 6, 14, for sin will not have dominion over you, for you are not, not under the law, but under grace. How do I know if I'm under grace? I'm free from sin, praise God. Grace has had its work in my life. It doesn't mean we don't miss it. I mean, it's a shame you have to say that all the time, but it's, it's, it's true. You, you get under condemnation. If you, if you preach this glorious truth and then you miss it, then you feel like, oh, I must not be saved. That's not the case necessarily. But Paul does say to examine yourselves and make sure that you're in the faith. <laughs> we do want to examine ourselves. A lot of people think they're saved because of the grace message that goes out the way we preach it in our country and in our culture, and I don't know that everybody's saved who think they're saved. Because going to church and hanging around doesn't make you saved. Coming out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light makes you saved. Becoming a new creation makes you saved. Becoming born again, Jesus described it. There's lots of metaphors. There's lots of illustrations. But we want to know that we're carrying the real gospel and we can present it accurately to people. So at least at the end of the conversation, they know where they stand with God. Amen. Amen. So I want to close with this. Um, put up the picture of that violin real quick. You have a violin? Look at that. Isn't that pretty? This is a cool picture. When I was young and I was living with my parents when I was young growing up, my mom used to watch a show called Antiques Roadshow. Anybody know that show? I have no idea if that show is still on or not. Is it still on? Okay. But Antiques Roadshow, and everybody would bring their old stuff that they'd find, and people would um, um, appraise it and evaluate it and tell you if you had um, the real deal or not, right? And so this person brought this um, violin. I don't think it was a Stradivarius, but I think it was, it was supposedly had the label inside of a famous violin maker. And um, uh, they thought they had something very valuable. When they got it there, he looked at it, and he, he could tell by how it was built. He said, no, this isn't the real thing. He said what they, and I remember this, it was wild. He said what they'll do is if they have the real thing and they have a fake one or copy, They'll take the label out of the inside of the real one, and they'll put it in the fake one so they can pass it off as the real vial, the real deal, and then the real one will stand on its own merit. And so they've actually, you know, created two for one, just so they could fraud, counterfeit. 